All right. Well, this last week I had a, um, a very meaningful coffee with a friend of mine. He's been a longtime friend of mine, and he's going through a rough season. He's going through a really rough time. And in and, and talking with him, I was just sort of hearing him out, hearing his heart. And uh, during one moment in particular, it was a very emotional moment, he said, you know what? I'm past the age of dreaming. I am past the age of dreaming. And I was, I was very sad for him. I understood what he was talking about. I understand where he was at and what he was going through. And I understand that he would say that. But I also wanted to say to him, hey, man, you're less than 50 years old. And I'm still less than 50 years old. So I'm hanging on to that one until the last second, right? So you're less than 50 years old. I wanted to say, hey, you got a lot of life and a, and a lot of uh, abilities and talents. And, you know, don't lose heart, man. But I also wanted to be empathetic. So I didn't say that, just listening and kind of caring for him in the moment there. What he was going through, I understand where he was at. Just a little discouraged and thinking, you know what, I, I just don't see myself dreaming ahead anymore. And then he talked about some of his friends that were same season of life. Call it a midlife crisis, call it whatever you want to, but they were making some pretty stupid decisions and ruining their families. Uh, or they were um, trying to pretend like they're 22 again and just doing all kinds of knucklehead stuff. Not that you 22-year-olds are doing knucklehead stuff. You're all very mature and appropriate. But imagine a 50-year-old trying to be like a 22-year-old, and whether it's the party scene or just goofy, just goofiness, right? And it was very sad to hear him talk about that. Now, you know, I understand what it's like to lose heart when a dream sort of fades. Um, all of us have had dreams, especially when, you, when we were young, right? Uh, my dream when I was in middle school was to be a, an architect and developer. And I had this whole dream, right? I'm a nerdy kid, not real big into athletics, and I was just hitting, you know, books on, on design and architecture and the whole business of development. And I was going to go to UC Irvine. I was going to own Orange County, man. I mean, I had a whole dream. Uh, I've been working since I was in fourth grade, earning the money, and I had just a, this vision of making money. And then uh, God called me to something else, and it didn't quite meet that lifestyle goal. And, and even though I love the vocation I'm in right now, just love it, wouldn't trade it for the world, I had to die to that sort of vision of um, the, that career and, and the lifestyle that could go with it. But uh, so I remember what that's like. Now, when I was in high school, I became a scratch golfer. I worked at a golf course, Temecula Creek Inn, right down the road there. I would set the pins in the morning, go to high school, after high school, go back and play golf every single day for free. I was on staff there. And I uh, got pretty good, got to par golf, a little you know, less sometimes, a little more. So I thought, PGA Tour, here I come, right? And uh, so I, I signed up for the Cal State Open. There's PGA, there's web.com, and then there's this whole other like mini tour business, and it's in that third tier. So I said, I'm just going to do the qualifier for the third tier, see how it goes. And I got spanked. I mean spanked. Where I'm like the bottom 15% of the, of the little scoreboard there, it's like, I'm done. There's no PGA, you know, in this life. When I went to college, I uh, was a drum in a rock band. Just maybe... Who knows, you know, rock band deal, maybe some song gets discovered and, and off we go. Then I realized you either have to have talent or looks, one or the other, and I just did not have enough of, of either. So there was that deal. When I was a youth pastor, again, you know, small church, Rancho Community Church here, youth pastor down the road, and our youth group kind of blew up, became, uh, became big, and uh, we started producing resources that 2,000 other churches started to, um, you know, to purchase, and I thought maybe, you know, there's the youth circuit scene and books, and just maybe that would, uh, it didn't quite happen. So there's been, you know, several seasons where, you know, you have a dream, and you kind of pursue some things, and then it doesn't quite happen. So I, I get that. There are four things that can happen when a dream fades. Three of them are very healthy. 
Four things that happens when a dream fades. Number one, you could say, hey, it's a dream, right? So you just understand it's a dream. In other words, I'm not going to be investing my life in a dream. I'll work at it. I'll work hard for it, you know, to achieve it. But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It's a, it's a dream, right? So you can be sort of sober about that. Um, the other thing you could do is just say, hey, a dream's a dream. But real life comes from the people around me. You know, my relationship with God and, and loving people around me, my family, my friends, that's what makes life whole and satisfying. So even though a dream may or may not happen, even if it doesn't happen, that's okay. I'm surrounded by love and I've got family and friends and that's enough. Third thing we can do is to just redirect the dream. And this was my deal and, and uh, you know, hey, it's architecture and now I guess we're going to go to PGA deal. No, rock star. <laughs> no, a church. And dreams just shift. And as they shift, just realize that that's okay. And even though a dream may never have been achieved to the top level, I had some good experiences along the way. You know, I'm thankful that I've got building experience and I've built several things and thankful that, you know, I could play golf with my buddies and it's kind of fun to do that in some tournaments and that's a good experience. And I'm, you know, very grateful for um, being a musician and being a hang in that crowd and I'm very grateful to be in church and, you know, they're, they're good experiences along the way. So instead of being, you know, bummed out that I never achieved the top, you know, dream to say, hey, I've enjoyed the journey. And I've got dreams now. I mean, I haven't lost my sense of dreaming. I've got dreams for what, you know, Rancho could be. Thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ. What would that look like in Temecula, you know, if we really got to unlock the full potential of this church? What could that look like locally and globally? So I still have some dreams, and some may happen and some may not, and that's okay. What happened during the time of the writing of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, is the Israelites lost their sense of dream. They lost their vision altogether. And so the book of Malachi is, is written to wake them up, right? Because they just were lulled to sleep. They, they were living their life as a big, meh, you know, we introduced this meh guy uh, as part of our Malachi series, you know, and their, their walk with God was just kind of whatever. Their priests were just kind of whatever, kind of half-hearted. Their families were kind of whatever. And their vision was meh, you know, they just had no passion. So the book of Malachi is written really to get the, you know, the, the, the paddles to God's people and say, you know, boom, wake up, get some life here. That's what the whole book of Malachi is written for. And the book of Malachi encourages us to live with heart. Live with heart. And so over these several weeks, we've talked about the heart of God, the heart of worship, the heart of leadership, the heart of family. And today we're going to wrap up this series by talking about the heart for the future. To have a heart for the future. So if we're going to have a heart for the future, I think we need to begin with a heart for God and to see what God sees for the future. What does God envision for this world? And let's start there. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 begins this way. God's talking about the future. What is to come? He says, see, I will send my messenger. Now, by the way, there's two messengers here in Malachi 1 and 2. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant will come whom you desire, says the Lord Almighty. So there's two messengers here, spoken about in Malachi 3, 1 and 2. There's a, a messenger who will prepare the way of the Lord, and then there's the Lord who will come as the messenger of the covenant. So who came to prepare the way of the Lord, Sunday school? John the Baptist. John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the Lord. Then the Lord comes, who is called in Malachi, 
the messenger of the covenant, which is important because God is delivering the message of the covenant. In other words, his promises are sure. His promises never change. So even though we're in a season of discouragement, even though our dreams may not quite be realized, we know that God's promises are true and he will fulfill his covenant promise to love and bless us unconditionally. Love and bless us unconditionally. So what happens when the Lord comes? What happens when Jesus comes? What's his job? Malachi 3.3. He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So God's articulating a vision of what is to come. They're discouraged. They're not getting this global empire they imagined. You know, they're sitting in between the Persian empire and the Egyptian empire. And they're thinking, when is our empire going to arise in it? It never had. And so they're wondering, is God failing his promises? And they're wondering, is there any hope for the future? God points forward to the future and says, there will come a savior, a deliverer, who we know is Jesus Christ. He will be like a refiner and like a launderer. All right, so what does that mean to us? I'm going to break out my my stool here, and we're going to have this little, little deal here. Both of these ancient illustrations talk about somebody who sits patiently on a project. And so this is what God is is telling us. God is telling us that his work on this earth is like somebody who's very patiently working on a project towards a vision. And the two illustrations here are refining silver and cleaning clothes. Um, Now, none of us have silver purifiers in our garage. Anybody? No, no. Uh, The closest equivalent today is uh, people who make their own ammo. Anybody here make their own ammo? I know in California I could be arrested for even asking that question. But I have relatives in Texas, and they make their own ammo. So they, uh, you know, they're on the firing range. They pick up the lead of their bullets. They put them in a urn, whatever it's called. They melt it. The impurities rise to the top, and they sweep up the impurities. And they heat it again, sweep up the impurities, and then they pour the lead into um, you know, bullet molds and then casings and the whole, whole deal. Pretty fun, right? So that's how to make your own ammo. Now you know. Um, That's what was happening 2,500 years ago. There would be silversmiths who would put chunks of corroded silver into that urn. It would um, heat up and the dross would rise to the top and they'd sweep it off. And only the pure stuff remained. Only the pure refined silver remained. That's what God is doing on the earth. That's God's vision for this earth. He is seated. He is patient. He is personally working and invested in refining this impure world. The other illustration was a launderer's soap. And so I brought my son's baseball uniform. Here's baseball pants. Now, my son loves to slide headfirst into every base. It's just fun and it's cool. He gets a walk. He's sliding into first, just for the look. Uh, No, he doesn't do that. But, uh, you know, his uniform's a mess. What we do now is we say, you know, throw it in the laundry, a little bit of soap, press, you know, go, and off it goes. Now, 2,500 years ago, you're sitting again, and you are... um, at a washboard or a washing stone, you'd put water on it and the, the launderer's soap, this would take forever. Launderer's soap rubbing the stains and you rinse it and you smack it and you spank it and you do whatever you, you're, you're getting this thing clean and it takes a lot of personal attention. You get the theme here of what God is doing on the earth? He is patiently working in a very, very personal way refining this world that he loves and cleansing this world that he loves. That's his job. He's invested here, absolutely invested here. So what does that look like? Where is God taking this world? Malachi 3 goes on to say this. I will come near to you for judgment. 
Now, when we talk about judgment, we think of wrath. Judgment is actually purifying and cleaning, right? It's the refiner's fire, purifying this world. I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers their wage, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. That's what God is doing. That's what he's doing. That's his vision for this world. If I were to bullet point God's vision, we'd put it this way. God is deadly serious about eradicating spiritual fraud. The Old Testament calls that sorcery. New Testament as well, but it's called sorcery. When we think of sorcery, we might think of, you know, Harry Potter. You know, that's not what this is talking about. Sorcery in the Bible is spiritual fraud. Sorcery in the Bible, these are um, magicians who create illusions to give people the impression that they have spiritual power. That is sorcery. It's, it, they're con artists. So they'd roll into town, they'd perform a few tricks. Keep in mind, this is ancient civilization. They would think, oh wow, this person is from God. And they would say, hey listen, if you give me money, God will do tricks for you. If you give me money, God will make you prosperous. God will heal you, right? And there are people out there, even today, you give God money, God will give blessing back to you. Um, you follow this formula of prayer, you follow this formula of healing, and God is going to do it. That is sorcery. It's spiritual fraud. God is deadly serious about eradicating that. God is deadly serious about the sanctity of marriage. He is deadly serious about justice for the victimized. He's deadly serious about fair wages for the laborers. He's deadly serious about caring for the widows. He's deadly serious about providing family for orphans. He's deadly serious about caring for the immigrants and refugees. That's God's vision for his world. This is God's vision for his world. Now, the question for us is, are we aligned with God's vision? And if we're not aligned with God's vision, there's a reason why. And Malachi 3.5 tells us, they do not fear me. They do not fear me. Now, when we talk about the fear of God, we're not talking about quaking and trembling, you know, in a fetal position in a corner. Um, I'll put it this way. If we have a reverential awe of God, to me that's what fear of God is. If we have a reverential awe of God, we'll take God seriously. And if we take him seriously, we will, take, we will care about the things he cares about and envision what he envisions. If we have a reverential awe of God, we'll care about him and we'll care about the things he envisions. So our vision will begin to align with his vision for this world. And what's his vision for this world? His vision is a world of love, provision, and justice for all. That is God's vision for this world. That's what God is hard after. He, is, he sent his son Jesus Christ to labor towards this goal, to labor towards a world of love, provision, and justice for all. He's going hard after that vision. And so we've got to ask ourselves, are we also going after this vision? Is our life aligned with the vision of God? And if it's not, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Now, over the last hundred years or so, the evangelical church, I believe, has not been aligned with this vision. The evangelical church has thought, I think mistakenly, that this world is headed for greater chaos, greater immorality, a declining church, war, and ultimately the total destruction of the earth. The evangelical church has had a vision of the total destruction of the earth. Is that in line with Malachi 3? Is that in line with the ministry of Jesus? No. 
Now, it's understandable why the evangelical church went that direction because they were facing World War I, they were facing the Great Depression, they were facing World War II and nuclear holocaust and the Cold War and the Vietnam War, right? So it's no wonder that you look at all this global chaos, you would lose hope for a bright future. So when the church lost hope for a bright future, I think the church separated themselves from God's vision. And we just became this cluster of evangelicals separated from the world and judging the world. Richard Rohr is somebody that uh, we read often. He's kind of a controversial author. He's a Franciscan monk and a really thoughtful guy. Here's what he says. He says, I know the situation in the world can seem dark today. And we think, okay, yeah, the world is dark. I mean, look at the politics. Look at the, you know, threats of war. Um, Look at the immorality, whatever. That's not what he says. He says, we are seeing theological regression into fundamentalist religions. That's the problem. And I agree with him. This is the problem of the world, is people leaving the world to cluster in fundamentalist religions. And you can say, well, it, it, the, the one you know, extreme of Islam is fundamentalist and one extreme of Christianity is fundamentalist and people are retreating from the world into fundamentalist religions which separate from the world, now judge the world, angrily judge the world. That's a problem. In the United States, he says, we have seen the rolling back of a compassionate economic system and the abandonment of our biblical responsibility for the poor, the sick, and the refugees. In other words, everybody's about us. We're all about us. We're not about a global vision. We're about us. Fear and anger seem to rule our politics and our churches. And I am telling you, no truer sentence has been penned in my lifetime. Politics ruled by anger and fear, what do you think? Churches ruled by anger and fear, what do you think? We've got to change that because anger and fear is not aligned with the exciting vision that God has for this world. So what we have to do is look at Malachi 3 and what God envisions and align ourselves as a church with that vision and then align ourselves individually with that vision. So over the past couple of weeks, I've been looking at the Malachi 3 vision of God's future and Rancho Community Church and seeing how those two, you know, match up. And here's my conclusion. You can tell me if you agree or not. Um, Are we any good at eradicating spiritual fraud? I'd give ourselves an A at that. We do pretty good. We are a gospel-centered, grace-centered church. We talk about God's grace, and we speak against religious systems. We speak against this whole idea of you do stuff for God, he does stuff for you. That's all kind of transaction. We speak against, you know, manipulating people to do things in order for this false promise of God doing stuff back to us. I think we're pretty good at eradicating spiritual fraud. How about the sanctity of marriage? I'd say we're pretty good at that too. We have marriage classes, marriage retreat coming up in a couple months, um, marriage groups, couples groups, safe harbor counseling, and pastoral counseling here. We are all in for marriages and family. How about care for the marginalized? I'd give ourselves a pretty good job at that since about 2009 in particular. Um, We have Celebrate Recovery that warmly welcomes anybody with any hurt or habit or hang up. We are a church with a wide open door. Anybody is accepted here. I got an email just yesterday from somebody who said, you know what, I'm thinking about coming to Rancho. Am I safe here? And then they described themselves. And I was just so thrilled to be able to say, you are safe here. You come. Anybody comes as they are. And then we'll just let God's grace transform us all into the vision he has for us. It's a safe place. 
Um, we have uh, many support groups, including Alzheimer's caregiver support groups, chronic pain support groups. If you've lost a child, we have support groups uh, for you. Divorce care, divorce recovery. We have about a dozen support groups for the church and for the community. Uh, Johnny and Friends begins today. We had a bunch of people from Rancho uh, just go up north to lead our Johnny and Friends, uh, to lead the Johnny and Friends camp. This is a camp for uh, special needs children and their parents. Um, just trying to look out for the marginalized and the voiceless. Uh, special needs ministry, international ministries that advocate for justice. How about help for the poor? Help for the poor. We highlighted Plus One Palawan on the Philippines, Breakfast Club in Ethiopia. We have 20 global partners going hard after poverty. We have 10 uh, local partners. Uh, the outreach farm that we've talked about is to help the poor of the region. Community Mission of Hope, uh, we do that pretty well. Providing for the widow. I give us pretty good marks in providing for the widow. Uh, we have our community mission of hope that has specific deliveries to widows. We have uh, faithful friends in our mature adult program. This is a gathering of dozens of women who have lost their uh, husbands and they gather together for encouragement, support. They have a ton of fun together, care for each other. Um, how about a sense of family for the orphans? I would say a few years ago, we weren't so good at this. Uh, we're getting better at that for sure. We've always supported Rancho Domicidus, and we have uh, friendship relationships with every single abused, neglected, abandoned child who is at Rancho Domicidus. Uh, we have Imani now, a uh, school in, Kenyan for, uh, in Kenya for orphans. We have foster families and adoption families that are increasing pretty rapidly here at Rancho. Uh, we need to get better at that for sure. And then uh, Malachi 3 calls us to care for the immigrant and the refugee. And I'd say we don't do so well here, but we're improving on that. Um, we are starting to really advocate for the biblical vision for the immigrant and the refugee, and I know that is controversial in Temecula Marietta Valley. Um, this has been ground zero for a lot of controversy around that, but God is very clear about his heart for the immigrant and refugee, quote, to treat them as your own. That is a biblical quote and a mandate for God's vision for how this world's supposed to be. And we don't do it in stupid ways but we do it in smart ways and we welcome people who are hurting and homeless and afraid and escaping terrorism and escaping war. We wanna be able to say you have a home in our home. The thing we're doing right now is a, um, a small effort to get families trained to welcome in um, immigrants and refugees from other countries here in Temecula that need a place to stay. These are children. Uh, my wife and I are involved in that uh, as well. And so there's a lot of things happening that we're doing great on, some things we need to improve on, but we want to see our church aligned with the vision of God. Last question for us today is how can we personally get aligned with the vision of God? Two things Malachi talks about. Malachi 3, 7, and 8 says this. You ask, and this is God speaking, you ask me, how are we to return? In other words, how do we return to God's vision? God says, I'm glad you ask. Uh, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. Now we're gonna talk about money for a second. If you're new, I just apologize, right? It's coming up in Malachi 3. We're studying the book. I apologize. Hang in there. I think you're gonna like how we talk about money. We're not gonna beat you over the head. No guilt, no false promises, no sorcery, all right? So hang in there. Malachi says, with our treasure, we can invest in the vision of God. With our treasure, we can invest in the vision of God. So he details it this way, Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. 
So God talks about the idea of the storehouse. So what is the storehouse? The storehouse is a facility built on, on the side of the Jewish temple. In 950 B.C., King Solomon builds a temple, and to the side of the temple is a storehouse. The storehouse was for 10% of all the crops, all of the livestock, and all of the treasure of Israel. 10%, that's a tithe. 10% was given to the storehouse. Now, that storehouse was used for three reasons, and it's important for us to understand the three reasons for the storehouse. Number one is the, the ministers, the priests, would get their food from that storehouse. The priests, the ministers were not allowed to have a job. They had to spend all of their time caring for the people of God and caring for the, the temple. And so they got their sustenance from the storehouse. The second reason for the storehouse was to care for the poor. So the Israelites gave 10% of their crops, livestock, and wealth to care for the poor. If somebody, say, was um, uh, you know, disabled on the job or they, they lost a loved one who provided for the family, there was no such thing as social security 2,500 years ago. So they would go to the storehouse, and the storehouse would care for the poor. So care for the ministers, care for the poor, and it would serve as a national um, uh, you know, storehouse in case of a famine. So if there was a famine and crops died all over the country, that storehouse would be used to feed the country. So it's sort of like a welfare uh, or a, um, you know, a, a, a savings account for bad times. That's the storehouse. So God said, give 10% of your wealth to invest in the ministry, to invest in the poor, and to save for the future. That makes sense, right? It's very reasonable. Now, because during the time of Malachi, the Jews lost heart, they stopped paying 10% of the storehouse. They lost heart and they stopped paying. And God says, listen, invest in the future. Invest in my vision for the future. Essentially, God was saying this, that giving was a sign of aligning with God's vision of love, provision, and justice. That's what giving is. When we give, it doesn't have to be 10%, but when we give, we are aligning our heart and our vision uh, with the vision of God to bring love, provision, and justice to this earth. And so uh, I brought with me some dollars, 100 of them, actually. I brought 100 $1 bills. And um, when I got this out yesterday, my nine-year-old said, hey, uh, when you're done, can I have that? I like, <laughs> no, you can work for it, you know. He said, no, thanks. <laughs> so I have 100 $1 bills here. Now, Jesus says something very interesting about our resources. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, it's a little unconventional. Normally, we say, well, we'll give where our heart is. Jesus says, no, um, you give and your heart will follow. And every once in a while, I use the example of stocks. You know, when I bought my first uh, stock, so it was Apple computers. So when I put some of my savings into Apple computers, I guarantee my heart's in Apple computers, right? Not just as a user, but as an investor. So you all go buy Apple computers. Where our treasure is, our heart will follow. So if you spend some of your resources on cars, we know that well, you value you know, a certain kind of car. If you spend some money, let's say you have a big retirement fund, well, you value, your heart is in the vision of your retirement. All oh, that's fine, no, nothing wrong with that. The average American... Out of $100, the average American gives $2 away to charity. Out of $100, the average American gives $2 away to charity. And then the average American breaks out their credit card and spends an additional $7 on themselves. You get the math? It doesn't work. That's why America doesn't work. 
That's why America's in such huge debt and American families are in such huge debt. That's the average American economy. Two out of 100 for charity, seven more spent on ourselves from credit cards. That means out of $100 that we earn, we spend 105 on ourselves and two on charity. Now, we just have to ask ourselves the question, what does that reveal about our heart? What does that reveal about our heart? And this is not to, to download a percentage on your budget in terms of what you should give away or what you should save. That is not up to me. It, there's not a clear mandate in the Bible. It's just not in there. So it's about the heart. It's about every single family going to your kitchen nook and saying, let's break open the books and let's have a vision of where our resources can go to advance the cause of Christ. And so for us, uh, our family at our worst, uh, we were a poor family, one income, three kids, poor youth pastor in a small church across the street here. And uh, we were given about $1 out of 100. And we were driving on tires where the, tr you know, the treads were gone. We were driving on steel. And it's like, okay, you know, that was tough. That was tough. But we thought we know we had to give more. We know we had to. Now, that was good for us at the time. We would not follow a sorcerer that says, hey, you faithfully give 10% and you'll never have a financial problem in your life. That's false promise, religious manipulation, right? We gave one, but we knew we wanted the privilege of giving more. So we set off a plan to give more. And then we set a goal. We're going to give 1% more a year, $1 out of 100 more every single year until we meet our goal. And then now, you know, by God's grace, we've been able to surpass that goal. And so I'm just encouraging your family to do the same. Wherever you are, there's really not a right and wrong. It's just asking yourself, where's our heart and where do we want our heart to go in the future? And then to plan accordingly, to plan accordingly. Lastly, not only is it about our treasure, but it's about our time. We can invest our time in the future God envisions. Malachi 3.14 says this, you have said, now get this, it is futile to serve God. Keep in mind, they had a, this kind of whatever faith and they had a whatever vision for the future. They had no heart. They were saying it is futile to serve God, asking what did we gain by carrying out his requirements? You see the heart problem there? Why would we serve God? Why would we volunteer our time in the vision of God? What do we gain out of that? That's a huge heart problem. Why would I give resources to achieve God's vision? What do I get out of it? Why would I volunteer my time to achieve God's vision? What do I get out of it? The same thing that we experience here in America, selfishness, is the same thing they experienced in Israel 2,500 years ago. It's the human condition. And all we're asking each other, and our family deals with the same thing, is how do we get from where we are and just more align with God's vision? You know, how do we spend our money? Just maybe a little bit in God's direction. How do we spend our time? Maybe just a little bit in the direction of God's vision. To sit down as a family and have these discussions on your own. And I'm telling you right now, there's no right or wrong answer. This is not about manipulation. This is about saying, here's God's vision. How can I get aligned? God has a vision for love, provision, and justice for all, every man, woman, and child, every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what God wants. He's invested sitting down in front of the refiner's fire to make that work. He's sitting down as a launderer, making that work, personally involved. Wouldn't it be cool for us all, individually and as a church, to be able to sit down next to God and to say, God, I'm going to also get involved 
in refining this world. God, I'm also going to get involved in cleansing this world. I'm also going to get involved in spreading unconditional love in this world, unconditional care, unconditional provision, and unconditional justice. And God, I will find my spot. And I will invest a little bit of treasure and a little bit of time. And that's an incredible journey. I can't script that out for you. It's your journey, you know? What does that look like in your own home? What does it look like in your own budget? What does it look like in your own volunteerism? And I'm telling you, if we want to dream, let's dream. Let's dream about what it would look like for our family of faith, thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ. What would it look like for all families to get aligned with the heart of God and to see to it that this community is flooded with God's love, God's provision, and God's justice? That's a fun thing to think about, and all of us can be a part of it. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time together today. This is a a difficult passage of Scripture. It's been misused. It's even been used to abuse people and manipulate people. But God, I pray that you would use this passage of Scripture to have us see an exciting vision of what you want to see in this world, what you gave your son for, what Jesus Christ died for as he took on all of the suffering and sin and injustice of the world upon himself. He died for it all so that there would be a resurrection ahead, a resurrection where this world would be filled with love, filled with provision, and filled with justice. God, we confess that every single one of us has a a human nature that would have our vision focused primarily on ourselves. But God, I pray that you would use this very day to just have us make some adjustments necessary in our time and our treasure to invest in the things that you care about that we would see a refining and a cleansing of this world, particularly in our community, that this future here would look very much like you envisioned 2,500 years ago. Care and compassion and mercy and provision for all. God, we thank you that you invited us into your work, advancing the cause of Christ together. In his name we pray, amen.